The Glory Hall appealed a decision on a recent permit denial. From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Juno has a housing crisis. That's why the Glory Hall board and staff are fighting so hard to get these seven units. That was Glory Hall attorney Mary Alice McKean Tuesday as she appeared before the city's planning and zoning commission. The shelter was appealing a decision by the city and borough of Juneau to deny a development permit at the organization's former location downtown to build seven affordable housing units. McKean says the definition of density, even in an avalanche zone downtown, was key. A development may not occur on a parcel in a severe avalanche area as designated on 1987 CBJ hazard maps, if the development would, quote, increase the density. And so the key issue here is how each party defines density. McKean further said the reduction in residency will make density far smaller. McKean says no change in the footprint or people in the building is clearly a reduction, and that the building department is reading the code wrong when it comes to density. CDD's position is not in keeping with the text. The text of this ordinance says no development may increase density. They are reading it, kind of rewriting it, to say no development may increase the number of dwelling units. This ordinance does not have the word dwelling units in it. It has the word density, which is a broader term. She added that the city has long defined a housing crisis in the borough. Deputy City Attorney Adam Gottschalk defended the building department's decision in the original denial. We all want more affordable housing in Juneau, but affordable housing should not come at the expense of housing that is safe. Title 49 instructs developers, uh, like the Glory Hall, as well as city departments like CDD, and it also provides limitations. The key limiting provisions tonight regard development in hazard areas, and these provisions are not arbitrary. In this case, CDD was limited as to whether it could grant the Glory Hall's building permit because the Glory Hall's parcel is located within an area designated under the adopted maps as a severe landslide avalanche area. Gottschalk added that the billing department cannot avoid code. The decision will come back around to the city for further debate and a further decision. Committee member Mandy Cole recused herself from any discussion or debate on the matter. As the Juno Assembly weighs a number of options in covering the tax revenue loss from exempting sales tax on food, the Juno Chamber voiced its opposition to applying a seasonal 1% sales tax increase to cover that. Chamber Executive Director Craig Dahl spoke on Action Line. He said the Chamber does not have an opinion on exempting sales tax on food, but says their issue is the seasonal sales tax proposal. Dahl pointed out that during the summer months, residents tend to buy a lot towards their summer projects, and so the burden falls on them. Dahl explained that a business swapping a sales tax rate from season to season isn't as easy as flipping a switch. I mean, it sounds easy to go, okay, on May 1, we're going to go from 5% to 6%. Every business, depending on their size and their sophistication and their staffing, has to make, you know, how do I, how do I implement, implement that on my system? How do I make that work? We actually are still communicating with the big national chains, and we haven't completed our um, survey. We've talked to two of them yesterday, whether they can and can't quickly adapt to that change in sales tax. Seasonal so it's, sale. a con- it's a concern logistical in nature. It's a logistical concern. 
past chamber, President Eric Forst expanded on that point, saying that point-of-sale systems, or POS, vary from business to business. Some POS systems are either easier to modify than others. Uh, some of them, some depending on the size of your business, you may you may have tech support to help you with that. You may not, and you may have to pay to have someone um, reprogram your system twice a year. Um, you know, so it just depends on the size and scope of your business and how you operate it. And there's expenses there, and there's an, you know um, some of the other expenses people don't think about is that you know your the business is going to pay increased fees on their sales tax revenue that they collect in the summer, which is when they're the busiest. They're going to pay the fees on that on that extra money that comes in, so that creates another another um, expense for the business that um, is trying to on their credit card. Yeah, on their credit, credit, credit card on their credit card transactions. You know, that, it's, it's an it's a it's a hidden expense. Dahl said it'd be best if the city waited until after this season to see what sales tax actuals look like this year. I think that not that we want to see the hole created and never filled, but. Maybe we ought to let another season go through and we see what our uh, out-of-state um, online sales tax looks like, what our additional sales tax would look like just coming in from in increased business. And, and, and there's other – this doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It could be a partial sales tax. It could be a partial – hate to say it, it could be a partial property tax. It could be a, a possible cost-cutting to fill that gap without just saying let's fix six, $6 million by increasing the um, sales tax. Juno Chamber Executive Director Craig Dahl and past President Eric Forst commenting on Action Line. The Alaska Supreme Court says it has affirmed a lower court ruling that the board tasked with redrawing the state's political boundaries engaged in unconstitutional political gerrymandering and ordered the use of a new map for this year's elections. Superior Court Judge Thomas Matthews previously ruled that a majority of the Alaska Redistricting Board's members appeared to have adopted a map splitting the Eagle River area into two Senate districts for political reasons. The map he ordered the board to adopt was the other option it had considered when weighing revisions in response to a prior court order. The board met yesterday to adopt the interim map. Governor Mike Dunleavy gave opening remarks at the first Alaska Sustainable Energy Conference, a three-day event where some 90 speakers and a total of nearly 500 attendees are meeting to strategize on how to lower energy costs in the state. Governor Dunleavy signed SB 177 at the conference, a bill on micro-reactors, which are a factory-built system small enough to be transported by a truck that typically generate between 1 to 10 megawatts of electricity. One megawatt can power about 1,000 homes. Today's an exciting day as we host the first Alaska Sustainable Energy Conference. Micro-nuclear technology has a potential role to play in creating low-cost, reliable power for communities, remote villages, and resource development projects. This bill will update state law to allow us to pursue the possibilities. The bill will define advanced micro-reactors micro in state law, It'll remove the requirement for legislative designation of the site of a reactor unless it is in an unorganized borough where the legislature is the municipal authority under our Constitution. It also removes the requirement for studies in per perpetuity by state agencies, replaces the provision with language for those agencies to comment on permit applications when they are filed with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The governor summed the bill up this way. In short, this bill will smooth the regulatory process for the siting of micronuclear reactors 
as the technology is proven out through multiple studies now underway, including at Isleson Air Force Base and by the Copper River Electric Cooperative. And the governor says fuel costs are extremely high right now, and this is the right bill to help fix that problem. Last week, the Federal Communications Commission adopted new rules that Alaska Attorney General Trey Taylor said will help stem the tide of foreign-based illegal robocalls that attempt to scam Americans. The new rules require that companies that allow foreign calls into the United States participate in robocall mitigation including blocking efforts, taking responsibility for illegal robocall campaigns on their networks, cooperating with the FCC enforcement efforts, and quickly responding to efforts that help trace illegal robocalls to their source. Noncompliance may result in the removal from the robocall mitigation database, says the department, and mandatory blocking by other network participants, which will essentially end their ability to operate. The new rules will complement other FCC efforts to close down avenues for robocallers. Attorney General Taylor and a bipartisan group of attorneys general urged the FCC to put these protective measures in place. Angoon Mayor Maxie Thompson revealed on the KINY Morning Show that some dance groups from her community will not be attending Celebration 2022. She added that the same may be true of cake. Due to the fact, you know, that our celebration is held every two years. The first one was unfortunately when COVID hit in 2020. And now there's been a recent spike. So we've been sitting and watching and we applied and everything. But at this point, we're going to stay home. And we heard that Cake's doing the same. I'm not sure. I hope I'm not putting them on the spot. But I will be reaching out to Ruth. And it's something that we really needed to do. You know, we really need to go to celebration, but we will not take any chances and endanger our elders or the little ones, the babies. However, according to resident Shannara Johnson, there will be two groups that will attend as representatives from Mangoon. Celebration is held biannually in Juneau. I think it was uh, very unethical, immoral, and uh, just downright dirty. That's former police officer Charlie McAnally speaking to News of the North about his feelings after receiving an offer to work at the city of Huna's Police Department of Public Safety, an offer that was later rescinded. Documents from a Huna City Council meeting on May 10th reportedly show that City Attorney James Sheehan found no wrongdoing on the part of Huna Mayor Gerald Byers in the hiring and subsequent dismissal of McAnally. The offer was rescinded, officials said, because Mayor Byers had no authority to hire him. The city of Huna declined to comment beyond saying that McAnally was not allowed on a ride-along with Huna Public Safety during a visit there. McAnally says Byers had been asking him for quite some time to come to Huna. He kept asking me to come work there for about six months, and I had uh, had other things to do at the time. I, I kept saying no, uh, things weren't right, you know, there there was some kind of big fight going on, and uh, I didn't walk in the middle of it, so I took a different job. And later on, I felt things had settled down, so when he asked me, still asking me to come take the lieutenant's job, I finally agreed. So right before I signed the contract, he typed us up a contract, and right before I signed it, I called him again. I said, is everything still go? Because after I signed this, you know, I'm going to quit my job. And uh, he said, everything's a go. So I quit my job at the Yakutat Police Department. I signed the contract, and 
I turned in my notice to leave the Clinket and Hyda housing here in Cape. Then came the job offer being rescinded, McAnally said. A couple of days before I was supposed to go there, he emailed me and said uh, that they were rescinding the offer. And so I, I emailed him back. I said, there's no rescinding an offer, though. We're past that stage. We've already moved into the contract stage, and I don't accept the rescinding of this contract. I said, it's a legal binding contract. I'm sorry that you've changed your mind, but we're going to stick with the contract. You know, I've already quit my job. I've already turned in my notice to move the house, and uh, so I need this contract upheld. McKinley said Byers was incensed that he visited town ahead of what he thought would be the start of his work. According to McAnally, the city council was unaware that Byers hired him. McAnally also said the mayor wanted him to replace current police chief Eric Hurtado. They didn't even know until I got there. They did not even know that the mayor had hired me. And the meeting was on the 12th. I arrived on the 11th. I was supposed to go to work. Well, he had called me before that and asked me, would I be willing to take the chief spot that they were going to fire the chief? And I said, no, not under those conditions. I don't want to put another man out of a job. I don't know him, but uh, I don't know whether he's doing a good job or bad job. But I don't want to be come in there. First thing I do is put a man out of his job. McAnally alleges that Byers said Hurtado agreed to a buyout of his contract. McAnally has not filed any legal action against the city, though he did communicate with the city after the hiring was voided, saying he did not agree with the decision. McAnally also communicated that he believes the contract was legal and enforceable. Razor Clam Fisheries in parts of the Cook Inlet area will remain closed for sport and personal use this year. That continues a years-long trend of closures as the clam population has struggled to regain numbers. Anchorage TV station KTOU reports the Alaska Department of Fish and Game says that Eastern Cook Inlet beaches from the mouth of the Kenai River to the southernmost tip of the Homer Spit are closed to clamming through the end of 2022. Razor Clam Fisheries closures on the eastern side of Cook Inlet date to 2015. Officials this week attend to reopen a road that has been closed for more than two weeks following a landslide that cut off access to the city of Seward from a smaller community. Emergency management officials say the road is expected to reopen to two-lane traffic at noon Friday. The May 7th slide cut off travel between Lowell Point and Seward, which is about 125 miles south of Anchorage. The Peninsula Clarion reports the slide measured about 300 feet wide by 200 feet long. There were no injuries. The road will be closed from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. between the 31st and June 2nd, so more blasting work can be done. The gondola purchased by the city and borough of Juneau from an Austrian ski resort, Galsterberg, is set for a long voyage to southeast. News of the North dug into the history and uses of the gondola with Galsterberg Ski Area Manager Peter Weichbold. He spoke about why the ski area made the sale to the city for use at Eaglecrest. Galsterberg is a small ski area in the tourism destination of Schlamming-Dachstein, and we are famous for skiing and hiking. And the problem was that the development in tourism especially in winter, get better and better. So the, so the gondola 
it's too small now for us. And we had long waiting times by the guests. And uh, so that's the main reason uh, of building a bigger, uh, bigger lift. Weichbold says the gondola had a special name during its time in Austria, the old lady. The gondola has large-sized cabins that can accommodate hundreds of people per day in the winter. Weichbold said the gondola is special because of its size. Weichbold says Galsterberg is replacing the old lady with an even larger gondola, one that can carry 1,200 people per hour, a sizable increase. But we get also um, a gondola with much more capacity because the capacity of, of the old lady was too small, too less. And so we, we need more capacity. Now we can, uh, 1,002 people per, uh, uh, can be transported 1,200 people per hour. And the old, the old lady um, can be transported 500 people per hour. So we, we, we have more capacity. Summer operations are a large part of the future of Galsterberg, like Eaglecrest plans to do. According to Eaglecrest General Manager Dave Scallon, the gondola purchased by the city will begin its trip to Alaska on June 27th, departing from the port of Rotterdam in Holland. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.